0: Hello, this is Jeanette here, and I just wanted to quickly introduce this episode, which is my conversation with my friend, Stan DeCock, who is also the assistant professor of piano at Florida State University. He also is the director of a festival in Italy that I will let him pronounce the name of because I don't want to embarrass myself right up front. He is a great friend of mine from the University of Michigan, where we were both doing our doctorates, and he is, on top of being a fantastic musician, a really great person. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is part one. So many wrong notes! I'm going to say a bunch of stuff and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know you from doing our doctorates together at University of Michigan. Yes. And we became very close friends, I would say. Indeed. Indeed, but we we diverged in in terms of where we went. So you went to Wisconsin, and then you went to Florida State, which you've been at for about two years now.
1: Right. First, I went to uh, State University in New York, Fredonia, for a year. Then I went to Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh and, right. Uh, now it's yes. my second year at Florida State.
0: And then you also run a festival in Italy, right?
1: Yes. Last summer was the second year of International Music Festival in Italy. I started uh, piano, strings, and chamber music, and a big opera program as well.
0: Big opera pro- Oh, I should just say um, I did pronounce your name wrong again. <laughs> and I've known you for how long? And, I mean, so it's it's Stan, right?
1: <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Um,
0: okay, you say it.
1: There's no shame in... In the small mispronunciations that are inevitable, um, "Stan" would be somewhat correct. Okay. But anything from "Sten" to Stan is quite acceptable for me.
0: Well, you know, because Logan told me your name was "Stin," like "Sting," like "Stin," okay. and so I just kind of went with that instead of going with how you say how your name is pronounced.
1: Well, it's not just is... it's not just me. It's sort of how it's pronounced, you know. In mic. In <laughs> <In
0: North>. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i should um say you're uh you're from belgium if people couldn't tell from your name and your full name is stan de cock
1: i'm cook, yes two separate words yes the cook?
0: Mm-hmm. oh sorry cook so i mean this is indicative of how nice you are because you never corrected me <laughs> Throughout all of our friendship, that's right. you've never corrected me. And then my co-workers now um, rag on me for pronouncing your name wrong. And she's just like, wait, wait, are you doing that on purpose? <laughs> are you just pronouncing his name wrong?
1: I've been playing the long game where I set you up for every so time you say my name. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> no, actually, not just to be embarrassed, but to be viewed as an evil person that just yeah. wants to pronounce your name wrong.
1: Evil is a strong word when it comes to mispronunciation, I
0: think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I'll say honestly, I'm sometimes afraid to pronounce things wrong. So I'll just default to something I've always said instead of like trying out something new because it usually doesn't work out. Like um, the name of your festival in Italy. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I'm not even going to try.
1: It's the (laughs) Brancaleone International Music Festival. Branca
0: Okay, can can I just shorten it to bimp?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So how many students did you have this year? You said it was a lot?
1: We had a lot. Um, Total, we had just over 100 students who came. So about just over 40 singers, a few collaborative pianists. That was the first um, program, and then the second program, piano and strings. We had over 60 students total, half and half. So about 30 piano, 30 strings.
0: Wow. So in comparison to last year... I mean, the year before, this summer, what was the growth like? How many more students did you get?
1: Well, we had more students overall because we split the program up into two. Two, And by the way, I think I said it was the second summer, it was, it was the third summer. Oh, this year, this okay. Year. Um, but um, yes, we split the two programs up, the voice program and the piano and chamber program. So then we had just more Uh, room for students in each program. So we actually had less students there at one time. Mm, That's good. Um, But overall, yes, that was um, a nice change. But we did have more students overall. So last year and the year before, we had about 80 students there total at one time. At one time. So this year, at one time, yeah, in a small town. So that that brings its own sort of challenges. So this year was um, good in that regard.
0: Well, then that means you had to be there for a longer period of time, right?
1: Yeah, I was in my wife Sarah and I were there for Hi Sarah. Um <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. Shout out to Sarah. Um she yeah we were there for about six weeks. Um six, seven weeks.
0: God that's a long time to be in one place. It is. So this is a huge undertaking um making an international music festival in Italy of all places. Mm. Why did you want to do that? Like what made you start thinking in that direction?
1: That's actually a question I get a lot from just oh, people are interested. Oh, why did you want to do it? And also, why did you want to do it? <laughs> why in the world? Um, so the reason why I wanted to start a festival was because I do believe in the importance um, of students doing these sort of things in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, the regular college programs, they always have the large summer break, so it's very easy for progress to more or less stall um, during those few months in the summer. Mm -hmm. So these programs, when I was a student, I did a few every single summer, and I found that I learned a lot from them, and I think students do. You're sort of on your own, um, more or less. You're surrounded by other musicians and teachers in a more informal setting, Mm -hmm. but also in a very intense intense setting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I think... For young people, it's a way to be a student, but not quite be a student. Feel a little bit like an actual musician. Like you're living the life of a musician for a little bit of time. Yeah. And those experiences, I think, are not just important, but maybe um, essential.
0: Yeah. I would say that my career now is solely informed by my experiences in chamber music festivals in the summer. I mean, because you don't get Mm. that in school. You don't get the intense experience of working on something and seeing this how far you can push yourself in a short amount of time because everything is very, very tight and intense and you're working so much harder than you would, I think, on a daily level during the school year. You, you're kind of surrounded exactly. by a lot of people that inspire you as well. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to validate you. Okay, continue.
1: Thank you. We agree. That's great. Yeah, um, sometimes. So from doing them, a lot of them seeing the things I liked, some things that I thought could maybe be different about certain festivals. Mm-hmm. I thought, I think I I probably could do something like that myself. Um, I found this place in Italy my wife, Sarah, and I had a connection to these friends of us in a town in the mountains in Italy. They have a castle. Um, Wait, and, they own the castle? <clears throat> well, I mean, the, the, the town has the castle. Oh, sorry. And, uh, it's part of the municipality, which then they were able to use and and it pretty much started from nothing, just an idea and an email. And then from there, it grew into what it is today in yeah, a few years. So.
0: But it was pretty quick, yeah, right? Like, I remember you yeah. talking about it, and then all of a sudden, you, you had it going.
1: Yeah, it took 18 months to get the first year wow. um, going. I, it took me 18 months to, from when I conceived of, well, actually started planning to the start date of the festival was 18 months. So
0: mm-hmm. then, how did you deal with the... I imagine million different facets of running a festival. Like we direct and we like run programs, but to start from mm-hmm. scratch is just a whole nother thing. Cause you have to think about funding. You have to think about your audience. You have to think about how to structure it, the teachers, all that. Travel, especially travel. Cause you're mm-hmm. international. Mm-hmm. How did that all fall into place? Were you not sleeping?
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. It's more than really any person can handle, but you do your best.
0: So did you and Sarah do this project at the same time with the same sort of intensity or were there times when you guys had to split up the work and you had to like take over or she had to take over that sort of thing? Um,
1: we cover different aspects of the organization. Um, she does more certain practical things. I mean, I, I touch everything in in one way or another, um, related to the festival, but she organizes travel, you know, organizing travel dates, um, she, oh, okay. I mean, she takes care of a lot of things that take up a lot of time and that would be prohibitive yeah. for me to do. Um, a lot of things take mm-hmm. up a lot of time, but certain things just would be so time-consuming that it, I just could not do it. So she, um, luckily for me, was able to handle those certain tasks. And she does do a lot. Right.
0: Um, and also, she runs the vocal program I'm assuming because she's a singer she doesn't
1: run it um, she when we got started she did um, a little bit more of the assistant work in that program to just get us started because mm-hmm. she has the she's a singer um, but now we have our director of voice Scott Piper who is taken on a big leadership role in that program. He is going to have his own assistant this year. so that is you know I, I mean I'm the director of the piano program. We have the director of the string program, Carolyn Stewart, um, who does that. And then I also am di- the director of the festival, but um, it's you, it's only faculty who are really directing the individual programs. Yeah.
0: Right. Do you have somebody on staff that's actually, like, doing the admin coordination of the program, or is it solely on you?
1: We, we don't have any staff um, during the year. That's how we keep our costs right. really low. Um, so we have had a uh DMA student from Michigan, uh, Annie Chang, who's come the last...
0: Hi, Annie. Hey, Annie.
1: Shout out to Annie.
0: I don't know if she listens to this, actually.
1: Who's <laughs> um, been with us this, this last summer and the summer before, and she's helped me trem- tremendously mm-hmm. with just scheduling when we're there, when little things need to change, and posting things, and taking pictures, social media outreach, those sort of things. She's been great uh, for that.
0: little busy bee.
1: Yeah.
0: How is Sarah doing?
1: She's good. She's busy.
0: Well, because I was looking through your, I was stalking your Facebook page mm. in preparation, oh. and I saw the pictures of you guys playing a recital together. Yeah,
1: we at the festival, um, we perform at the festival usually. Yeah, she's a mezzo-soprano. Recently she became a speech-language pathologist, which has been a, a good transition. She's still a singer, but yeah, one has to have time for these things. So, or really, The summer we premiered actually one of Logan's songs.
0: Oh, really? Which ones?
1: We sang some of the Emily Dickinson's that he already had composed, and then, yeah, I think, if I remember correctly, the premiere was one, a new Emily Dickinson that he had just wrote.
0: Oh, he just wrote new ones? Or,
1: was that the European premiere? I have to, you know, it gets so busy during the festival that afterwards everything's a little bit of blur, but we did a European premiere and a world premiere. Oh. And I don't quite remember if which one was the Emily Dickinson, but... um, we did one of those. And then a few old ones.
0: I should probably say this is Logan Skelton that we're talking about, who was um, our teacher Yes. at University of Michigan. Um, and he also is a composer. So he wrote a set of songs based on Emily Dickinson's poetry. Many sets. Many many sets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love those songs. I think they're really touching. I think it gets to a lot of the heart that Logan feels. He has He has a lot of heart, I would say. Yeah. So, just just a silly question, but, like, what is rehearsal like between you and Sarah? Because I know, for me, it's hard to perform and rehearse with somebody that you're actually married to or dating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you guys are an unusual couple in the way that you are one of the most in-love couples that I've seen. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's easy, easy to get jaded in this world. You got married very young, right? Like,
1: well, we started dating when I was um, nineteen, and we're wow. still together. And then we got married about uh, six years after that, together since then. So, yes, we've been
0: that's very we've young been
1: together our adult lives.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, really heartening for someone like me to see a marriage that was done so young that still is going strong. Um, Because I don't often see that anymore.
1: Well, that's what what we see too. Even a lot of our friends, and we're still very young. A lot of them already have a divorce, or um, things have changed a bit. But yeah, we seem to be very lucky in that regard.
0: Yeah, and like secure people, um, it probably helps that you're not like super crazy. I don't think you're batshit crazy. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So, anyways. What is going on with you now? Because I haven't actually talked to you in a while. And I know you have all these little projects going in. I know you have a group um, and that you're coming to Garth to play. Mm -hmm. So what is uh, what is upcoming for you? And like, what kind of things are you involved in right now? Um, Well, let's
1: see. I I just finished up sort of multiple tours with a clarinet trio that um, we formed here with uh, FSU faculty members that was we did a tour of um, modern works, American female composers, mostly.
0: Female composers? Females,
1: well, I guess just a Joan Tower. I guess just one, but all American composers, all living. <laughs> um,
0: okay.
1: Uh, well, it was the piece we had to rehearse the most, so I think in my memory, it was mostly female <laughs> it was most composers because we mostly... <laughs> It's what we mostly did. <laughs>
0: you spent the most blood and tears on that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Which is saying a lot because it included the Shenfield piano you know, trio. Um,
0: Which is yeah. I mean, I would think that piece would take up a well, lot of time because it's so hard. Practice
1: time. Yeah. Rehearsal time. It sort of just goes. You know, once you can play it. Um,
0: it yeah. That piece really is like uh, it. It doesn't require a lot of like sitting down and counting out because it's intuitive kind of rhythm. Yeah. Anyways, um, um, I can imagine Joan Tower being a little more yeah. obscure to everyone, or not everyone's on the same page kind of thing. But I don't know the piece. Well, the ensemble,
1: yeah, the rhythmic, yeah, it's very, very uh, minute, in the rhythmic interlay, so to speak. But um, <laughs> without interlay- yeah, with, uh, getting...
0: <laughs> I like that face. <laughs>
1: um, anyways, so that that's sort of a big thing that it just finished up in the summer. Um Now I'm preparing for my first um, professional solo CD recording that, which is going to be all works by the sort of romantic generation around 1810. So Mendelssohn, Schumann, Chopin list. That will be hopefully recorded in the spring.
0: Are you going to call that album The Last Romantic?
1: (laughs) Well, I had this idea of just, well, I should say my idea just in case somebody gets there ahead of me, but I was just... Oh yeah,
0: claim your territory.
1: Right, so, like a baby name, I won't say the the title of the (laughs) CD, right? The baby (laughs) names, like you don't say it so somebody else can. But in in any case, so that hopefully will be recorded in the spring, coming out over the summer. Um, What
0: pieces will be on there, or do you not want to say right now?
1: Um... It might still change because I often change my mind about things regarding to programming. But most likely Schumann will be the F sharp minor sonata.
0: I love that piece. And I love like the succinct aria. Like I love that. It's two pages long and it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's
1: a wonderful piece. And then List. Uh probably Dante Sonata. Not quite sure uh-huh. about that yet. Mendelssohn Probably minor prillion fugue. Also, not quite sure about that. About learning. And then Chopin, that's still up in the air.
0: I actually don't think I've heard you play much Chopin. I've heard you play mostly Scriabin and List.
1: Scriabin, List. Well, Beethoven.
0: So, you have an album yes. that you're planning to record. And I'm curious, it seems like you're doing a lot more chamber music now. I remember you texted me saying, I feel like I have your job and I don't like it. Mm.
1: Just to edit that a little bit, I think I said I felt like when I was learning the um the Schoenfield, because I knew you I knew you had learned it before. So I think I felt yeah. um your stress in preparing uh, <laughs> that amount and difficulty of repertoire in a short amount of time. So I think I thought that's, I told
0: you that not to worry about it.
1: Mm you no. were pretty much so um for the listeners who may not know Jeanette as well as I do, is she learns music very, very fast—probably faster than most people. I most, yeah, pretty much anybody I know. So when I mm-hmm. said I was learning that, Jeanette said, "Oh, okay, good luck with that." <laughs> I was very worried.
0: No, 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 no. But I mean, <laughs> when
1: Basically, Jeanette says "oh," then I am very worried. <laughs>
0: I mean, the reason I bring it up is, is not to like <laughs> bring up your text, but to say that I, I've i always kind of thought that you were somebody who enjoyed playing solo a lot, oh. um, that you, you sort of were going in that direction of just like the beauty of the solo piano mm-hmm. because of your last romantic kind of ideals, mm-hmm. but also um, the repertoire you were inclined towards. Sure. And I didn't really see you doing a lot of chamber music in school, so I kind of... St- I thought that you you were not that interested in it. So th- that's why I asked.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think during the doctorate, those were mostly practical considerations because I already had um, another job and like a teaching job and right. private studio, so there's just not much time. Um, I think you just need good partners uh, to play with. And yeah. that is often dependent on geographical location so um, once I started teaching universities then I had you know colleagues I could play with and so little by little I started to right. be more um, and then now certainly at, at Florida State I have a lot of great colleagues so that makes it easier to, to play with people yeah um, but it it's always just a time consideration fitting you know, in rehearsal time going on tour uh, it's uh, only so much one
0: can do yeah no it's true i mean i don't think i've played a solo recital in three years now okay two and a half but i mean it's it's you know I, you have to give something up if you're doing chamber music um, right. full time so in terms of like what you like doing mm. do you find that if you had a choice between preparing for a solo recital or preparing for a chamber recital with like good people that kind of inspire you to play differently or are better or whatever um, hmm. would you would you still choose the solo recital or
1: um well, I would hope I don't have to make that choice that seems sort of like a sad choice but um <laughs> to have to make I'm not sure why I would have to make it but um I do enjoy both I enjoy yeah it's a stupid question actually yeah I, um i if sort of what is your preference but what do, what do I really love to do it is the yeah. so, the solo recital. Um mm-hmm. for sure. But I like I love playing art song recitals. I love I like playing chamber music, but um I identify more, I guess, as a solo pianist. But
0: right.
1: uh I mean some of my favorite chamber um performances are you know, by people like Rubinstein or when Brendel played with Fisher Disco when Richter played with Feature Disco or so
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. But I do see myself more as a solo pianist who also likes to play chamber or collaborative
0: not... like martha argrich and friends um
1: <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't go that far. martha argrich
0: and like cello obligato. right and
1: yeah just like that. well she
0: also did get the loudest cellist to play with her i mean it's it's awesome have you seen her recording of shashtakovich piano quintet with misha maisky yes isn't it fucking awesome like it's just exciting yeah it's exciting I remember Logan saying once to me, the last person you should be listening to is Martha Argerich. He
1: he has a way with words. <laughs> Every moment is a teachable moment.
0: I guess so. <laughs> All right, what, who's your favorite pianist?
1: Living or dead?
0: Living, we'll start with living.
1: Living? Um, I would say most likely Christian Zimmerman.
0: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What do you like about him?
1: I I suppose the... Approach to pianism, the roundness of tone, hmm. the balance of expression with continuity,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, just the, the sheer beauty of sound. The,
0: the sheer beauty, beauty of,
1: sound. of sound, yeah, is what um, I guess his aesthetic for sound matches what I think yes, it should be.
0: So those are tenets um, that you always try to aim for. Always have a yes. beautiful sound. Always have yes. a narrative that is understandable. Is that?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's um I think that comes from my my Russian background, my training so it's sort of the school of uh, newhouse gilos mm-hmm. Richter Rodolupo. um that's sort of the the school that I find myself connected
0: to hmm. and do you find yourself telling your students the same tenants or what is more important to you as a teacher because that's what you do most of the day right
1: mm-hmm. um, yes, how to produce sound how to foster technique that allows you to produce a certain sound Mm -hmm. and not have sound as a product of whatever you do Mm -hmm. but have it be a goal
0: I remember um, what is it? when I went to visit you at at Fredonia Mm -hmm. um, seeing you really as a teacher because I knew you had an unusually big studio when you were in your doctorate but Mm -hmm. seeing you at Fredonia just you doing this studio class Mm -hmm. I was very impressed with your teaching and I thought That you really, truly enjoyed it, whereas mm-hmm. a lot of, I guess, my peers might not really truly enjoy it. It's just a way to make money, right? Right. Do you love teaching? What do you love about it?
1: Yes. I actually i am one of those weird people who actually does really enjoy it uh-huh. and like it. I think very early on in my teaching, I had some good students, mm-hmm. um, which I think helps a lot Yeah. for anybody and they improved, and they, and they ended up doing well, like, in whatever they wanted to do. They got into their school, into their program, they
0: do really the competition
1: well, right? or something. Yeah. So I think that sort of gave me some confidence and validity early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, if you like music, you actually like the repertoire, and you enjoy, and you feel like you actually do help students, and that they get better, and that they respond. Right. And then it's difficult not to truly profoundly enjoy it because you're doing the thing you're supposed to do you're playing music you're listening to music you're talking about music you're teaching others how to play it and i just really i even sort of like listening to juries of students really? i like hearing them perform i like seeing how they're getting better or what they're struggling with and yeah yeah I'm. I'm i guess i'm weird
0: I don't think you're weird. It makes sense. I mean, it truly mm-hmm. is exciting to feel that you can actually help somebody, that you would be able to guide someone and help them fulfill what they really want to do. Yeah. Because a lot of students are frustrated that they can't maybe get to the place they want and they hear in their mind that they want to do, but they just don't know how and you, you can actually be that person.
1: Right. So
0: how, how do you develop a balance in your life? I mean, Isn't it hard to have boundaries with students?
1: Yeah, I I suppose so. Um, I mean, the balance is just, yeah, you teach and then you come home and then you practice and then the day's gone. That's sort of every day, could be potentially every day, so you do have to... Yeah, and especially if they're getting ready for things, you start to give extra lessons um, yeah. and then it, um, or when you're on tour or giving concerts and you come back, you have to do double lessons, yeah. which then all of a sudden is almost a 40 hour week just of teaching. So that it's challenging. I, I don't really have an answer besides just working as hard as you, you know, one can yeah. you just do it. but you do it does take a lot of energy. That is true. And I teach less well the more tired I am.
0: Do you feel like it hampers how much performing you want to do?
1: I think that's just the plight of the academic tenure track position. Right, you have to balance your teaching with your performing, um, and that that's just. I mean, you do have to do it because otherwise, you know, you you don't progress towards tenure. But um, you have to balance that. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: Well, I guess the other question I had in terms of. I mean, boundaries is a loaded term. I shouldn't have used that term. But basically what I was mm-hmm. wondering is it's easy as a piano teacher to get really invested in your students' kind of well-being overall because that affects how they are taught, affects how they learn, and affects mm-hmm. how, because music is so personal, right? Mm-hmm. So then, right. how do you deal with maybe a student that's struggling with um, mental issues or like a mood and you see them... Really, just kind of struggling with school as well. I mean, do you right. do you have to kind of draw yourself away from it at a certain point in order for your own self to be sane? Like, well,
1: I mean, being a piano teacher it does involve some therapy, some parenting, mm-hmm. some friendship, some advice, those type of things, and I and that's important. Um, but. Um, you, you you can only do as much as you can do. So universities have support systems. They have their own parents. Um, so sometimes I ask, is there anything you want to share with me? If I feel there is other things going on and actually it would be helpful to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that can help. Um, a lot of students nowadays struggle with depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, people struggle. St- Struggle with anxiety, um, and sometimes people have tough um, situations at home. So it helps to know, and then you can make accommodations. You can offer advice, mm-hmm. um, but <clears throat> I find my that that doesn't affect me very much. You don't carry much. it home with you. No, I, I I don't have that personality. I do care about them, and I help them as I can, but. There's a certain pragmatism in my approach to that
0: right it's interesting it's kind of like a therapist or a psychologist right like you can't really bring all those problems home with you because uh-uh. then you wouldn't have a healthy home life um, yeah. well, do you think that your love for teaching was kind of fostered by having good teachers growing up or a good mm. good kind of role models of teaching or the opposite like i
1: I think it was a mixture it was um yeah having when i was young particular teacher like my russian teacher at at the brussels conservatory um sort of seeing a true pianist you know sort of from that era Mm -hmm. what do you mean by
0: true pianist
1: somebody who was just a pianist like he Mm. he didn't know how to use a computer he didn't he didn't do anything but teach and practice and perform. That was his, his life, truly. Okay. And his wife took care of him, and he was that was just his world, and that's inspiring and important to be around. I think. Um. So, that certainly helped. And then having some mixed training as well, mm-hmm. sort of uh, experiencing things that might not be effective or efficient teaching, and then having again good teaching uh, like with Logan. Yeah. So that. I think that makes a good teacher. I don't think really liking being a teacher is a product of having a good teacher. So I assume there are a lot of people who don't like teaching and wonderful teachers, but um, it does help you to be a good teacher um, for sure, I think, or a better teacher or-
0: Or just sort of realize or be grateful for what a good teacher can do. Right. right? I, I mean, I would think it could be the opposite too. Like you had bad teachers, but you want to do right as a reaction to that. As well,
1: yeah. I mean, bad teacher is such a strong, it is strong word, you know. And um, because in a way, if I had bad, let's say, I had bad teachers, I would have to assume that if that teacher wouldn't have taught me anything, not a single lesson, I would be a better pianist and teacher and performer today. Yeah. And I'm not so sure about that. So
0: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny thing, right? Because a good teacher right. for you might be a bad teacher supposedly for another student just because it is a very personal relationship like you every right. student's different so every teacher will fit better or, or worse with another student but also like every approach is different for every student too mm-hmm. and I mean I could say mm-hmm. like for undergrad I didn't really enjoy my time there mm-hmm. but I think probably it was more my own issue that I didn't enjoy it I think initially when I got out mm-hmm. of that school I I blamed my unhappiness on having like a teacher that didn't work for me But I think it was really, I wasn't in the right place to be taught, and she she Mm -hmm. kind of knew that, she kind of saw that, she was just like, you know, you take care of your own shit right now, because, like, it's kind of pointless. Mm -hmm. But yeah, perspective doesn't come until you're older anyways. I think some teachers, maybe I shouldn't say just piano teachers, but have you noticed some teachers like to put their own self first? in some ways like like they can be unnecessarily mean i think Mm -hmm. and i think that's not always necessary for a student like it's not the right thing to do there's no excuse for being mean
1: right yeah it's certainly not something i ascribe to i i I guess teachers are people and i guess you'll get as many different types of teachers as your personalities in, in a way but yeah sometimes i think that that has been observed in the world you know uh teachers putting students down to make themselves feel more important and more able. And teachers feel like they need to be tough on students and break them down in yeah. order to build them back up. Those sort of things I, I don't ascribe to. Um, but, I, I, it, I, you know, it is tricky. If, if you're always nice and friendly and a helpful, smiley professor, um, students don't work as hard because they, don't, they feel they can get away with just saying, oh, I had a rough week, I didn't practice very much.
0: There's no consequences.
1: Right. So then you're not helping them either yeah. by being their friend. Um, then if you're too tough on them, then they might start to feel like, you know, they don't have the ability to do the things you want them to do. And then you're also not succeeding as a teacher. Yeah. So it's a balance. It's, um, it's something I struggle with. Um, I wonder, when is it okay to say, this sounds great? Mm-hmm. You sound great. Because you can always find things uh, to say. So when do you just sort of stop saying things? When do you start to just boost the morale forward versus trying to keep improving them? Yeah. I, I think it's difficult for anybody.
0: Okay, so this is how I envision you as a teacher. You don't, gosh, you don't give over compliments. Right. You will give them a few compliments if they really deserve it, but only a few. Mm-hmm. You're stern when you need to be, but you don't ever fly off the handle. Like, I can't imagine you having a tantrum or kicking someone right. out of the classroom. What's the most mad you've gotten? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I I don't I don't get mad, um, you know, like in, I don't get mad at a student. Mm-hmm. So so the only reason why I would get, I mean, not upset, but why there would be a breakdown in the teacher-student relationship is if the student does not want to do the things that are being taught to them. Oh, because then that relationship just does not cannot happen anymore. Yeah. Right. So if there's just um, you know in order to play this do this and then if the student just refuses to do that then that relationship is broken
0: have you actually had someone refuse to do what you've asked them to do
1: well I mean not blatantly lift the hands of the <laughs> piano and just say no I mean not that but
0: insubordination.
1: subordination <laughs> right. not quite like that but I mean there's a thing and I probably did it as a student But sometimes you go in a lesson and you want to show how well you can play and you play something and then the teacher gives you a comment and before they even finish their sentence, you're already playing again. Oh, God, it's so
0: annoying. I did that all the time when I was a student.
1: Right, (laughs) I know. And then you're a teacher and then you say, wow, I cannot believe that is the most insufferable thing in the world. But so for what can happen is, you know, I'm teaching a student and I've had an example of this before where, and sometimes with younger students it can happen. Mm-hmm. You give a comment and they you sort of explain something that's a little complex uh, and they say, Okay and then they start playing it and they play exactly the same thing and change nothing. Yeah. And then you say, Well, let me try that again. Eventually it becomes clearly they're not listening and just not interested. So I, I think the worst I think that ever happened, um, was a younger student was more or less a little bit petulant,
0: petulant. Oh.
1: Um, in a lesson and was just not wanting to make improvements either because they were insecure and felt they couldn't do it uh. or it was a so, surely a defense mechanism but um so i just had a little sort of a, a heart-to-heart saying i just feel like we're not quite working well together i'm trying to figure out uh, how we can change things, what we can do, I know you can, and it was sort of you know, the the classic pep talk Yeah. and usually after that it's always fine, and then they're, oh, sorry I didn't know I was doing that, and then usually it's fine and the student just sort of made a sly remark after this sort of heart to heart, and then I said, well do you think that's an appropriate way to respond uh, to what I just said and then they made another sly remark
0: sly remarks, right, yeah Jesus,
1: and then I said, well I think at this point, the best thing for us to do is end the lesson. And this was only 15 minutes into the lesson. End the lesson, so you can go think about um, <laughs> how you're approaching this lesson. And I, and that's sort of all. I mean, that is really the, the worst possible case scenario. Is just to say, well, I guess this isn't working, so we just have to stop. Because I don't like to waste
0: time. This is like a confirmation of everything I thought you would be as a teacher. <laughs> you would express quiet... Disappointment, and it was just like probably more frightening to me than like somebody who just flies off the handle because then you could be like, Oh my god, this person's crazy, but you're just like quietly disappointed at how they are not stepping up to being a good human being. <laughs> like, Jesus, <laughs> you kind of remind me of my first teacher at Juilliard. Actually, she doesn't have to say anything, but it was just you felt like you have really done wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, no, I mean, it's not like that, but. My goal is always to to have an a efficient and an actual a lesson that does something at right. any time. Um, so if it isn't, then we have to work it out. And not every teacher will work well with every student and not every student will work well with every teacher. So if this is not going to happen, then we just have to address it, see if we can move past it. And I've never had a situation oh, yeah. where in the long term we didn't. But it it could happen, you know. I mean, and that's fine, but then you're just there. Uh, I we lessons cannot be exercises in futility that is my my mantra i guess
0: and that brings us to the close of part 1 stay tuned for part 2 which is coming in the meantime please check us out at so many wrong notes.com and also follow us on facebook and twitter and instagram uh all those lovely social medias and if you so desire, subscribe to us, or review us on iTunes, because that would be super awesome. Okay, take care, and talk to you guys later.